Attention men, are you wanting to break free from porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, but finding it seemingly impossible to quit? If so, we can help. My name is Jonathan Darty, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. This three-day workshop is for any man who wants to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So whether you're married, single, or divorced, this powerful and proven intensive weekend will help you uncover what is at the root of your struggle and discover the man God always created you to be. Space is limited, so call us today at 210-822-8201 to register. That's 210-822-8201 or visit bebroken.org slash gtf. Hey, listeners and viewers, welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're so glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and I have some special guests on the line with me. I have Reese Crane and Sharon Spurk. And so, guys, welcome to the program. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, and you know what? Because of the, the limited amount of time that we have, I just want to dive in because I feel like you guys have such a, uh, a really kind of a unique story. And I want people to be able to hear this because I think sometimes when it comes to listening to um, uh, people's story of of marriage or of, you know, sexual brokenness or these kind of things, I think we have a particular, especially in the church sometimes, we have a particular template through which we say things should happen. Like, in other words, when when spit hits the fan, so to speak, <laughs> we have this idea of, well, there's maybe two or three outcomes that are acceptable, but all others, we're just going to paint you in this really negative light. There's no hope. You really should just despair because if X, Y, or Z happens as a result of whatever brokenness came into your relationship, it's like your life is over. But I want you guys to tell your story because I think there is, it's a story that needs to be told because I think there's actually more people than we realize that need some of the hope and the message that you guys can share because of how God has navigated your lives through your story. So Reese, why don't you start uh, for us? Because, um, you know, we're going to be talking about your story of sexual brokenness. And so can you kind of kick us off in terms of uh, who you are um, and kind of what we're going to be sharing today? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I was a porn, sex, love you name it, addict for about 35 years of my life. I started around age 11 and um, became very well acquainted with um, the behavior that goes along with, you know, uh, you watch porn, uh, the sexual self-gratification that you get out of it. Um, that I was kind of in a, a real breeding ground for uh, addiction. I, I grew up kind of emotionally detached from my, my family, my parents. Um, they were gone a lot. I was home alone a lot. I had a sister that was 13 years older than me. And so uh, even though she was active in my life and probably a little bit more maternal towards me, um, I just still kind of never was able to make that kind of emotional connection. And, um, and so that was difficult for me growing up. I, I was okay being alone, but 
I mean, I really just had this overwhelming need for love and connection with my family, and, and it just wasn't there. I also was heavily bullied as a child. Um, these three bullies lived on my block, so I got it at home, I got it at school, and these same bullies would come up to me and want me to you know, play kickball with them in the street or something like that. So one day they're nice to me, the next day they're bullying me. So I, I kind of I kind of left my younger years with this belief system that one, I'm not wanted or I'm not important. And I've kind of devalued myself in that way. Um, uh, and, and two, you can't trust anybody because they're gonna be nice to your face, they're gonna want you for something, but then a knife's gonna go on your back. And so that's kind of what I grew up believing about life in general. And I kind of had to fend for myself and figure things out for myself. And then uh, along with that pain and along with that kind of abuse and, and neglect in my life, um, I just easily turned to pornography and just kept following that whole ritual over and over and over again. That started around 11, 12, 13. Of course, with uh, this was in the mid 70s. So with the advent of you know, VCRs, cable television, things started to become more accessible and that cemented it in. I was in the military after high school and stationed in Germany where it was brothels on every corner, you know, porn uh, cinemas on every corner, take your pick. Um, never partook of prostitution in Germany, but I actually lost my virginity to a prostitute here in the States when I came home on leave and was visiting a close friend of mine. And uh, I just kept sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into it. My relationships um, always had to be sexualized in some way, shape or form. I, I guess I felt that that was going to secure the relationship for me so that I didn't have to worry about losing a relationship. I couldn't trust the girls that I was dating because I was wondering when are they going to leave? When is the knife going to come in my back type of thing? Um, but at the same time, I did everything I possibly could to perform well and maintain a relationship because I didn't want to be alone. And I don't know why, you know, I don't know exactly why that was, why I was like that, why I was always, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, grasping at, at needing a relationship, but I just always did. If I didn't have a girlfriend at one time, I just felt completely broken and I just needed to have my, uh, a girl on my arm all the time. And, um, after I got out of the military, I was in a couple of dysfunctional relationships where I actually um, ended up getting a girl pregnant um, and having my oldest son uh, now, who's in his 30s, believe it or not. And um, I was after that relationship, I got involved in a very dysfunctional and physical, convenient, codependent relationship that lasted five years. And um, of course, 99.9% .9 of my story is not being told here, and there's a lot more to it. But in the middle of that, that last relationship, um, I was asked to come on board to be a full-time worship leader at this growing church in central Pennsylvania. And uh, all, all the time I was either living sexually in these relationships or I was accessing porn or I was, you know, sexually self-gratifying uh, to mental imagery. I was, I, I, I kept that going. That was always going in the background. That was the double life that I was leading constantly. And um, in the middle of, of that, that last kind of dysfunctional relationship that I was in, I, um, I you know, the, the church invited me to come on board because they were losing the worship leader. And I said, yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw it as an opportunity for me to be, you know, surrounded in this, in this Christian environment, this spiritual environment, and it was going to help me grow. It was going to help me beat the struggle that I had uh, of sexual brokenness and sexual failures. And it didn't, <laughs> you know, I would continue to go to, uh, to church, go to the offices, lead worship on these various services, 
go back to that relationship and then eventually have it, you know, be sexual failures over and over and over again. And eventually that relationship ended and very harshly, very abruptly came to an end. And at that moment in my life, I felt God tell me, I, I want to just work on us. You know, don't, don't do what you normally do. Don't go out and find another girlfriend just so that you feel like you're complete or you're whole or this is your way of coping with your loneliness or whatever it is. I want you just to work on us and, and surrender your life to me again. Take time to heal because you're in this very dysfunctional, uh, crazy relationship. But I didn't listen. I, I literally, right after I heard the Lord say that to me, I, I went over to the phone and made a phone call to uh, a young lady who is currently on the podcast with us today. And I called her up and started to share with her that I had had feelings for her, um, that the relationship I was in, which she was very well aware of and, and knew the girl that I was in a relationship with. Um, I just told her, look, I, that was never a serious relationship. It was just convenient. It was horrible. I'd made a huge mistake, um, but I want to move on from that. And I have these feelings for you. And I was wondering how you felt. And she basically came back with the, I think the comment was, well, it's certainly not been one-sided. <laughs> and, uh, and so she had uh, basically confirmed that she had feelings for me. Six months after that phone call, we were married. It, it happened in January of 95. And, and by July of 95, I was standing at one end of the aisle and she was walking down the aisle towards me. And I still had the dysfunction in my life. I still had the sexual brokenness in my life. Um, but I was hoping, you know, that I, I was marrying this girl who was going to be a real helpmeet to me and was going to help draw me out of my brokenness. Um, I saw her as this pure, uh, sweet, kind, loving, godly woman and, and somebody that I had, you know, it was kind of the vision or the package, if you will, of what I saw myself um, committing to. And she was, she was all those things. And so we, we struck up that relationship. And, and like I said, within six months, we were married and we went on our honeymoon and we came back. And as soon as we set foot on the ground, you know, our church was involved with a kind of an outpouring, a revival type of atmosphere. Multiple services were being added in. I was still leading worship at all of these um, all of these extra meetings, I was starting to get burned out. And we were having twice a month meetings and we were having special speakers into the church and uh, special conferences that were taking place throughout the year. And it was, it was always get Reese, make sure Reese is going to be there, make sure Reese is going to handle the music, make sure Reese is going to get the band together and all that kind of stuff. And after about five years of that, um, I just got so burned out. And it wasn't just because of the activity. It was because of all of the underlying stuff in my life. It was that, that brokenness in my life, that sexual brokenness, that belief that um, I couldn't trust anybody, I couldn't trust the staff. All of those beliefs followed me throughout my life and caused me to have these real tentative relationships in my life. And so five years into that, we're, we're around the year 2000 now, and this is becoming quite a, an issue in, in our marriage because I'm starting to say things like, I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to go into church. I don't want to lead worship. This is not what I, I see church being like. Um, just a bunch of services, just a bunch of shows. It's just really getting to me. 
And this was a problem for her because I don't want to steal her thunder, but her desire was to do ministry, especially worship ministry with her husband. And so I was starting to crumble that dream for her because I was getting so broken and so burned out inside. The next thing I know, I'm sharing this information with another woman at the church. And I start to emotionally cross a line into that relationship. And that brings us kind of to a place where um, I ended up having a full-blown affair. Uh, on my yeah, so let me let me uh, let me have Sharon Sharon if you can kind of give um, like how how you were navigating all of this in your own life in terms of how um, things were going from your perspective and what you were seeing and just even if you can kind of share a little bit of your own story that gets us to this point where things kind of came to a head in your marriage. Sure, um, Maurice. Or Reese um, was really my dream man. I, from the time I was probably a teenager, it was my dream to be married to a worship leader. I loved worship. I was a worship leader. I mean, I was a worshiper and um, had lots of multiple crushes on worship leaders um, through the years. And um, so when I came on this particular worship team and we were doing a lot of group activities together, um, hot wings on Thursday nights with the band, um, it was inevitable, you know, that I was going to start falling for the single, the new cute single worship leader. And um, but it really was more intense than any other crush ever had been. And it was I had been on a journey with the Lord of just really surrendering and wanting to make him my first love. And so I was always laying Reese down and laying him down and laying him down. And I felt like God um, was really in that process with me. And so when he called me that night, um, I really took it as a sign from the Lord. Um, I mean, I had definitively laid it down. God, if I never get married ever in my life, you're enough for me. And three days later, he called me and admitted his love to me. And and I I really felt like I loved him. And so to me, it was just a no brainer. And I felt like God was on it. So um, as he said, it was a whirlwind of a romance. He did admit to me um, when we started dating about um, his past. He shared a good portion of it enough to have scared me off. I think I was stunned and in shock a little bit with some of the things that he admitted to me. Um, but also because of this move of God that was happening in our church, I also saw him at the altar Sunday after Sunday, crying before the Lord, getting ministry, getting prayer. And I really believed that um, God was doing a work in his life. And and um, and I just really trusted that, that I even could be part of that solution. And this was a new day and a new chapter for Maurice. And, and I loved him and I felt like God really had confirmed our relationship. So there were some warning signs, um, red flags for sure. Um, but I had felt like there was enough confirmation that I went into it pretty confidently. Um, we had rough patches in the beginning, but I think also in the beginning, there was a, there was a, more of a purity sexually, I would say, that I felt. Um, but I felt like a, a definitive change. And I don't know where that happened um, along the line, but I started feeling, it started feeling dirty to me. And I don't know, like he and I have never really talked about 
when maybe he opened the door wider or something came in to the marriage, but I definitely felt something had changed. Um, and I readily admit that I put so much of my identity um, in Maurice and the fact that he was the celebrated worship leader and um, had a lot of favor. And um, so I would think I was living vicariously through the favor that he was receiving um, because he was loved and favored. I felt loved and favored and it really was an unhealthy thing. So it, it definitely was a threat to me when he was talking about leaving the church and leaving this hmm. place of stability, leaving this place where I was finding so much of my identity. So, so I let, wasn't, honestly, I wasn't very supportive of him yeah. in, in his struggle. So let's talk about when things started to um, disintegrate. Like, what was that journey like when just things started to kind of fall apart in the relationship? Mar you know, Reese, you talk about how you obviously were opening the door to this adulterous relationship. What else was going on that started to kind of lead towards this um, brokenness in your relationship? And, and then Sharon, I mean, how much were you aware of some of these things that were going on as well? You well, want to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, it was really interesting. At the end of 2000, we were celebrating my, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And I had sent letters out all over the country for family friends to send back notes and pictures and, you know, anecdotes and things like that that they remembered. And I don't know if you remember this, Sharon, but I, I opened up a letter from one of the family friends and out popped a picture of my mom holding me as a baby. And, and, and the date on it was August 1965, back when they put, you know, the old stamp on the pictures back then. And that was the month and the year that I was born. That was me in my mother's arms. And I broke. I just started crying because I, I, I didn't see a lot. We weren't a picture taking family like people are today. And, and I, and I saw that and there was just something inside of me that called out that just so much wanted and, and so much missed and, and actually probably was grieving the loss of my childhood just because of everything that had gone on. And I, I, that was like a real definitive moment in my life when things kind of broke and then everything around me just started to get, the only way I can explain it is everything around me just started to, to liquefy. Everything around me started to get very surreal. And I was just going through the motions of life. I, I'd go to church, I'd lead the worship. Um, I would come back. I would constantly feel empty, constantly feel uh, ashamed of my life, of my double life and trying to beat that and all this kind of stuff, not even realizing I have an addiction by this point. I just call it a struggle, which most of us do. And that was dictating a lot of my off time behavior. Um, I was just showing up, you know, just putting on a front. Um, and then eventually this one, you know, girl that had come to the church and became part of the worship team. I had known her outside of the church because of the Christian music circles around our area. Uh, she would sing in different churches and things like that. And she was helping me on a recording project with some administrative stuff that I needed done. And um, the, the more that we talked, the more that I shared my uh, disgust with where I was and the more that she would listen and she would come back with, yeah, I think the church should be more like this too. And I'm like, yeah, th this is how the church should be. It shouldn't be a bunch of meetings. It shouldn't be a bunch of show. It shouldn't be a bunch of this. And we would banter back and forth. And then eventually there was, you know, what usually happens is you start saying, yeah, nothing's really going great at home. And, 
struggling there. Like Sharon doesn't want me to stop the work at the church and, you know, but I want to give my life to this, you know, I want to be this music producer, this music arranger, this songwriter, you know, that's what I want to give myself to. And, and the more I said stuff like that, the more this, this other woman was listening to me and, and hearing my heart and encouraging me to, to do that. And the next thing I know is I, I can't wait to uh, get off work and go see her at her job before I go home. Or I can't wait to, you know, if, um, if, I, if it's going to be a late night or something and I'll, I'll be home later, I'll stop by her house and then go home. And it was things like that that started to happen uh, incrementally along the way and uh, eventually ended up, you know, getting physical and then ended up actually crossing the flesh line and having a full-blown uh, affair with her. And at home, obviously, you're trying to hide it as much as you possibly can. Um, but the one thing I will always say about women, they, they have that amazing God-given sense that they know something's wrong. Every time she would try to tell me, I, I don't think that you should be spending a lot of time with her. I think it's a dangerous position to be in. Initially, it didn't start out that way. Initially, it was I found somebody that I can write music with and arrange music and produce their music. And originally, it was very benign, very innocent, very exciting for me to think that I might be able to go in a different direction that I've always wanted to go in. But um, Sharon would bring up these red flags and say, I, 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 you're probably spending too much time there. Maybe that's, you should think <laughs> think a little bit differently. But that only made me angrier. Sure. So, so Sharon, what what was going on at this time in you? Like, how much did you know what you, I mean, I, I agree with Reese. I, I, I say it all the time that um, when, when God looked at Adam and said, um, it's not good for him to be alone, he'll make a helper that one of the key things that he put in a woman that he didn't put in a man is this ability to have this amazing thing called intuition. <laughs> like men don't have it, even if they think they do. Like, <laughs> women have this ability to know things, even if they don't have all the facts. So tell us a little bit about what this stage of the journey was like, and then and then where this eventually led, because I do want to talk about kind of some things that happened later in y'all's lives that I think is going to be really significant to a lot of people who are listening who maybe are already painting a picture of how they think this will end. So can you share your point of view on what was going on at this time? Sure. Something that we haven't mentioned is that we had a baby by this time. She was born in April of 2000. And in May of 2000, um, Reese went to lead worship on the Capitol steps, which he had for years. It was a prayer and worship gathering um, on the National Day of Prayer every year. And um, Lydia, our daughter, was only a few weeks old, so I stayed home. And I remember that day so clearly. Um, Reese came home and he was so excited about this um, this woman who had sung a, her song that she had written, uh, I think, for the nation, and was very excited to have her over for dinner. Well, everything within me went off. I was just like, um, yeah, just the hairs stood up and I was like, I'm not really feeling good about this, but I didn't want to be the jealous wife. I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it was the intuition because there was really nothing else except that um, I probably felt jealous of the fact that she was a great singer and songwriter and he was celebrating her because, you know, I wanted to be that, like I wanted to be recognized more musically. Um, but not being the, the um, jealous wife, not wanting to be, we had her over 
for a meal and she was in a broken place as well with the church and um and she was sweet as all get out so it was hard not to love her and um but this continued you know where he wanted to have her over and help her and let's embrace her and i was like <laughs> um and then very quickly i saw that he was crossing emotionally emotional boundaries with her and um and it just got more and more obvious the way he treated me um yeah just mm. he definitely had his walls up it, there was a, a huge lack of honor um we started sleeping in separate bedrooms um, I knew he was on the phone and on the computer, like of all hours of the night with her. Um, we stopped communicating, like it really got ugly. It really got painful for me. Um, and there just came a point where we really weren't even communicating. I had to write sticky notes and put them on the cupboard yeah. um, because his heart really at, at one point became fully hers. But I don't think either one of us were ready to admit it. I was too afraid to just come right out and ask, are you having an affair? Mm. And it, it took me a while. I was I was really in serious denial. I had gotten married for better, for worse. He was the love of my life. He was the father of my child. And it was way too painful for me to think that he could be having an affair. So I was in denial for a long time. But I did finally one day come right out and ask, um, are you having an affair with Wendy? And he was very honest and, and said yes. And so that began the separation process. Yeah. Now... I hate to do this, but for the sake of time, I want us to fast forward a little bit because you guys did eventually get divorced. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through, because listen, that's what I, when I was, when we started this conversation, um, that is the outcome that so many Christians will say, well, that's it. That's utter failure. You know, in other words, that's the worst possible outcome that could happen to a marriage relationship. And so therefore, all hope of any kind of like joy, peace, goodness in your life is over. And, I, and by the way, I hate the fact that that is kind of the stereotype that we've placed on onto the people that go through that painful process. But can you share with us a little bit about what did it look like after that in the sense of how you guys still had to navigate a type of relationship because of the fact that you have a daughter together? Because I think there's a lot of our listeners that need to hear that because I think there's some things that you guys did that I think can bring a lot of hope to people out there that are even in that situation trying to figure out how do we navigate still having to be in a relationship even if we're no longer married. Right. Well, the, the one thing I want to say is we did have a daughter and we separated and then we got back together and tried to make the thing work. I think the damage in me had already been done, but during that time we conceived another child. And so we have uh, a younger son um, who is amazing as well as our daughter. And um, you know, when, when she told me that it painted me immediately into a corner, I said, no, 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 please, please don't be pregnant. Please don't be pregnant. Please don't be pregnant. She came back. And it said that she was pregnant. She was going to have a child. After that, uh, maybe a couple months or so after that is when we decided that I was just going to leave. And or I decided I was going to leave. She didn't have much of a say in it. So I left and I went back with a woman and started to uh, live with her. Uh, eventually down the road around 2004 it was when 
uh, Sharon had the papers drawn up. All I did was go over to the office and sign my name on the dotted line, and we were officially divorced at that time. So there she was with two little children, um, me caught in my brokenness and just living for me. I left the relationship, left her alone. We went through counseling a couple of times. I didn't really want to do it because I wasn't ready for it. And after that, we just decided, uh, decided to uh, make it work for the kids and, and that we were going to honor each other, that we were going to respect each other, that we weren't going to say things uh, about each other, especially within uh, earshot of the kids. But we weren't going to say that stuff anyways. You know, that wasn't going to be the way that they were going to live our lives. I knew that I had done wrong. I knew that I had hurt her. Um, I, there wasn't a lot of rage flying around. There wasn't anger, you know, flying around, uh, you know, uh, putting each other down, that kind of stuff. We just decided that for the sake of the kids, we were going to make sure that, that our life was for them, you know, when it came to us and being in relationship with each other. So you might want to expand upon that as you can. Well, yeah. Sharon, Sharon, I just want to say, um, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, women that are probably listening right now that are maybe amazed at how you traveled that. I mean, just what Reese is saying there, because I think uh, it would be very easy to hold on to a lot of bitterness. Can you share how you navigated that season when, hey, it's Reese that left. You're you're sitting there literally holding the babies. Um how, how did you navigate through that to where you did not perpetually consistently, you know, pursue holding on to anger and, and bitterness? Yeah, he fast forward through a lot of, of pain and processing. Sure. Um, so there was a, a, some time involved in all of this. And, um, you know, we weren't superhuman. There was definitely a lot of repenting and and choosing to forgive over and over and over again for years. Um, when our son Liam was born, I didn't want him around. I was so angry at him. And it really was a few months till he really even got to see and hold Liam. So it wasn't like I was this perfect angel that could forgive so easily. It did take time. And so I think it was when he Liam was four months old that he and Lydia started seeing or restarted restarted seeing the kids um, more consistently um but i think i made a choice somewhere along the line i was out of control of the situation i didn't ask for this this is not what i wanted this is not what i wanted for my kids it broke my heart the mm. first time he drove away with lydia in her little car seat i thought my my heart would hemorrhage you know i never signed up for my kids having to go back and forth from mom and dad and I, I really fought for our marriage for a long time just for that reason. I wanted my kids to be raised by mom and dad together and not have to go back and forth. So it was it was a painful road for me. But um, one thing I felt like I did have control of was what it was going to look like for my children. I wanted my children's childhood to be the best it could be. I didn't want them to grow up childless or ch fatherless. Um, and... I wanted them to know their dad and I wanted them to have a relationship with their dad. So that was something I know by God's grace, he just helped me to choose to do. And um, so I, I took baby steps in, in choosing to honor Reese and he was very quick to honor me back. And I'm not quite sure what came first, but I know by the time the kids were old enough to understand, 
he was having conversations with them um, that they needed to honor and respect me. And if he found out for any reason that they were not respecting me, they would hear it from him. So he really stood behind me. He was very honoring of me and um, I was very honoring of him. And I'm very quick to say that honor begets honor. Mm -hmm. So it's just what you sow is what you reap. And in most marriages that I see, there's a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. You want to take it out on each other. It's very easy to pit the kids, um, you know, against the other one. But I think we chose very early on, we're not going to do that for the sake of the kids. Mm -hmm. And and we actually all ended up reaping the benefits of that. Um, the more I was able to honor Maurice, not condoning what he had done, um, but honoring him as their father, the more he honored me back. And we were able to really start down this pathway of, of having a good relationship and building good bridges, you know, and it was time for the kids to go be with their dad. And, and when they were coming back to my house, um, there, there wasn't this animosity, um, you know, from one house to the next that they had to deal with. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a choice. It was a choice and it wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. It was a journey. Yeah. And uh, I hate that we are about out of time here, but I, I would like for each of you to just share, you know, just some words of, of hope and encouragement maybe out there to husbands and wives that are maybe in a similar kind of situation, trying to figure out um, how to navigate really the difficult in their, difficulty either while they may still be married or maybe they're going through the time right now of where they're no longer married, but they're trying to navigate how do they continue a relationship for the sake of their children. Just any word of encouragement that you would want to give to um, the spouses and then I'd also love you guys each to share a little bit about how God has actually used the personal transformation that he's done in each of your lives to actually benefit others, because um, God's actually using your lives for ministry. So can y'all share about that, too? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think what Sharon said is, is really um, key, that it's a choice. And a lot of people don't look at it that way when they're full of rage and hurt and bitterness and anger, you know, that somebody has been discovered using porn or somebody has been discovered having an affair or using prostitutes or something along those lines um, uh, in their own sexual brokenness. And what I always encourage, you know, the, the men to do is to, to recognize the pain that they have caused um, their, their spouse in this. I mean, they pretty much opened up a big machine gun and just riddled their spouse with bullets with all of this information coming at them. And you don't real, you don't realize how much you've hurt them. Uh, but at the same time, I also encourage the spouse to understand, um, the addiction and not just the behavior. And, and if they can start to see each other, uh, if, if they, especially if they have that faith background in Christ, if they can start to, to get over that hill of pain and, and, and start to ask Christ, Give me your eyes so I can see, like, kind of like that song, you know, give me your eyes so I can see them. Um, you know, give me your eyes so I can see my spouse in the way that you see them. And, and, and help me understand what I've done to them. Or if it's the, uh, the victim spouse, help, help, help me understand what they're going through. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? So our enemies are not each other. There's something that is deeper and darker and more sinister going on behind the scenes that you have to realize has been trying to control you the whole part of your life. So if we can try to work past that 
get to that spirit realm where we actually see where the battle is really going and really fighting, we can kind of understand each other and each other's brokenness and, and make that choice to honor each other because that's what God would have you do any other time in life. Make sure that you, you're following Christ in that and you're, you're honor, honoring and respecting uh, that other person and, and then make the kids make the kids the focal point. Don't let them feel the injuries. Don't let them feel the pain. Shield them like you're supposed to. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have to affirm Reese in that he was pretty quick to take ownership um, in, in the whole thing. Um, and I just want to piggyback on what he said for the, the victim spouse, uh, the one that's just finding out or has been living with a spouse who who has this addiction, um, be compassionate, listen. And, you know, it, it does, there are two people in the relationship. I had a lot of brokenness, a lot of things in my own life that I was putting undue pressure on um, Reese about. And so I, post-divorce, had a lot of counseling. I just wished I could have gotten healed and, and have, and we were more whole for each other um, in that. So if you're, you find yourself at a crossroads right now and, and you really want to make that choice to make your marriage work, to, to um, do what's right for the, the kids, just get help, mm. get help, you know, deal with your own broken heart. Yeah. And uh, it's real easy to cast the stones um, at, you know, your spouse, but really, ask God what it is in you that he wants to heal and mm -hmm. take care of you. Uh, there might be a time where you need some separation to just to heal, to process, to take care of you. Um, but yeah, definitely get healed Yeah. <laughs> um, for the, the kids as well. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm so I'm so grateful for y'all being willing to share your story. Um, you know, thank you for for being here. If if we have some listeners that are saying, uh, okay, I'm I'm kind of in a similar situation, or I'm I'd love some some help. Uh, do you guys have any any resources anywhere you would like to point people that maybe um, would be an encouragement? I mean, obviously, be broken. We've got a lot of resources and things for for folks. But I didn't know if you also had any. Um, you know, resources that you guys would like to share. Um, I, I know, uh, you know, there's my life uh, when I came to realize what I was dealing with and, and struggling with was a real addiction. I actually went out and got a counseling degree uh, because I realized that this is a major pandemic globally. And, and there's so many people that are struggling with this. So I, I became a counselor, became a coach to try and, and help uh, these uh, these guys do that uh, and find recovery, find healing in their own life. Um, you know, Be Broken is, a, is an amazing resource. I mean, the stuff that you have available for not just recovering addicts, but for, you know, wives and, and, and making sure that you're caring for them. Um, you know, all the aftercare stuff that's going on there. I think it's, it's an amazing thing. I will say that Sharon is writing a book. So is my wife. Um, and Sharon has got, a, I, I'm not sure if it's coming out this, this fall. Is that what you said? Sharon? Yeah. So it's supposed to be, supposed to be out this year and she's going to detail her whole journey, you know, as it relates to uh, my involvement, uh, the reconciliation that God brought 
uh, into all four of us. You know, my wife, I, I ended up marrying the woman with whom I had the affair. God brought major reconciliation in my life and brought healing to my life is continuing to heal her heart. Um, brought reconciliation and, and a wonderful man into Sharon's life. Um, and so she's detailing all of that story and it's going to be coming mm -hmm. out. And I'll, I'll let you know, you know, when that actually does come out. And my wife is writing a novel, a fiction story based upon the same exact thing. And uh, I think when those two come out, they're going to be strong resources for people to tap into. And we're available to share our story anytime, anywhere. Uh, all four of us, you know, two of us, whatever, if people ever want to get a hold of us and just bring us, bring us to your place, we, we'd love to walk through the journey with you. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again for being with us. Uh, it was, it, uh, I commend your, your courage and your vulnerability to be open about your story. Um, I think uh, our stories are what build the bridges to people's healing uh, because it right. gives somebody else uh, the courage to say, well, if they're willing to open up about that, then maybe I can open up about this. So um, I pray that God blesses you for uh, continuing to share your story. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Always an honor yeah. to be able to share. And Thank listeners, you. we're always glad that you're with us. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.